0: Going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. We start the week off as wide ranging of a show as you can possibly get from Canada Post's ongoing labor strife to the inspiration behind Canada's new $10 bill to tracking meteors. But we start off talking about Alberta's response to the oil price differential we're struggling with. And here's a hint. million a day. Thanks for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. All right, as mentioned, Premier Notley appointing three experts to work with the energy industry to find ways to close that oil price gap that is costing Canada tens of millions of dollars a day. In fact, Notley saying earlier today, the uh, Canadian economy is losing $80 million every single day because Alberta's oil is selling at about $45 a barrel less than WTI in the U.S. Joining us now is Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, President and CEO Tim McMillan. Tim, thanks for the time today. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. Your reaction to the province's latest idea in terms of trying to bridge this gap that is uh, becoming ever so more prevalent? You know,
1: we've been using the word for about a month now that we are in a crisis. Uh, I think that the Premier expressed uh, a similar point of view today. And uh, she's putting together some some folks to do some work to look at how she can help address that. Uh, we are going to continue to push the federal government to get the infrastructure that we think needs to be put in place, both rail and pipeline, so that in the
0: medium and longer term, we don't find ourselves in this position anymore. The experts: Robert Skinner at the U of C's School of Public Policy, Deputy Energy Minister Colleen Volk, and Brian Top. Uh, are those three people that uh, that you can put your your faith in when it comes to uh, addressing this uh, this export gap?
1: You know, we will certainly be working with them that uh, um, we've been in conversations with the government for, you know, the last uh, few weeks or months on this topic specifically. And, uh, yeah, I think that it's important to, to ensure that they have the information they need to make any
0: recommendation that they will. I've made the argument, uh, I feel like I'm a broken record sometimes in terms of this federal government seems more than willing to have this uh, idea of an emergency session to talk about a UN climate change report, and I'm not by any stretch trying to downplay the importance of climate change and the importance of the environment, but... Uh, when it comes to actually making you know, money still and when it comes to supporting the industry that is still uh, the, the driver of our economy, they've really lacked on that front. I, I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint, do you get any sense that the federal government is, is taking this seriously at all?
1: You know, there's a few fronts right now that uh, we're working with them. It it has been frustrating. I think the most obvious one is Bill C-69. The pipeline industry has said if this bill passes, it's, it's currently written, there will be no new projects come forward in Canada. And the fact that we have $40 differentials today and we have a bill like that in our senate i think uh we need to continue and to be very loud and persistent to the federal government we need to not just fix that bill but we have to reinvigorate some of the projects that we've let slide by like the cancellation of northern gateway the cancellation of energy east that could have allowed canada to be independent of the
0: u.s with our own resources is there in your mind a business is closed sign out front right now in canada Uh, We
1: certainly hear from investors that uh, Canada is not on their radar, that uh, they've seen too many uh, signals, both overtly and otherwise, from Canada, from the cancellation of approved projects uh, right through to regulatory delay and uh, overarching legislation like Bill C-69 that has really put them on the sidelines and said we're going to invest in the Middle East or in Brazil or the U.S instead of Canada. And that's sad. And we see the effects of it with jobs
0: and opportunity being lost here. What do you say about uh, other provinces? And I I know a lot of finger pointing goes towards BC simply because of what's been happening in the news lately. But uh, when it comes to other provinces, how many would you say are are maybe on board with where CAP and the oil industry is and and maybe those who seem to be okay with, uh, with letting the industry struggle?
1: I think for the most part, we we have a country that wants to see the energy sector succeed because we produce across the country, certainly off the East Coast, uh, the concerns we have about Bill C-69 are shared on the East Coast because of some of the very challenging rules that would put in place for the offshore. Um, the East Coast also, I think, was very disappointed when Energy East was cancelled because it was an economic corridor connecting their refineries with Western Canadian products so that they don't have to keep bringing in Saudi Arabian oil. Um, British Columbia, um they obviously were very keen to get LNG moving forward, and I think uh, we need to embrace that and uh, and find a way to to get oil as welcomed as natural gas.
0: In this case, is ideology winning the day in the in the federal government? You know, I, I hope that um, the. The interests of
1: Canadians wins the day ultimately, and we are certainly making the case uh, on behalf of the energy sector uh, about how we fit in, in that space, uh, both environmental performance like no other energy producer in the world, as well as economic opportunity as the largest capital investor in the Canadian economy. And uh, we hope that that, uh, that carries the day with our elected officials.
0: How surprised are you that this isn't getting as much traction given even today with the with the Premier saying uh, the Canadian economy is losing $80 million every day because of the, the differential, yet there doesn't seem to be this sense of urgency coming out of Ottawa, or at least it's not being parlayed as such?
1: Yeah, that that is frustrating. There was a, a news article in the Daily Oil Bulletin about a month ago where it compared... A car coming out of a Ontario auto plant, if it had the same percentage differential that a barrel of crude oil does, uh, you would be getting an Impala for $8,000. It, w- it would be an absolute nightmare um, for the country. As I would argue, the current differentials on oil and gas are for our country. And uh, we need to continue to make that case as loud in Ottawa, in Toronto, and in Western
0: Canada. How do you sell that message? And I, I guess "sells" is probably not the right word, but how do you parlay that message to win over those who seem to be pushing back? Or do you just use the the economy as sort of the focal point in in a situation like this?
1: You know, I, I think it all shakes out in the in the national economy in the medium or longer term. Um, but we have to make the case for this in the shorter term, and that is. Um, hitting media across the country. It's using our grassroots networks. And at CAP, we have the Canadian Energy Citizens, which have been extremely active in the Bill C-69 debate, uh, sending the Senate about 20,000 letters. Um, so it's it's all actions. Take nothing for granted. Talk to our friends and family that may not be here in Western Canada about these issues so that we have advocates from from other parts of the country,
0: from this point, what would be your message to Canadians uh, heading into the next few weeks? As, as this this doesn't seem to be this isn't going to be an issue that's going to be going away anytime soon.
1: Well, the federal government is going to have their fall economic update here later on this week. Um, I would hope that uh, a crisis of this level would be reflected in that and that the government would use it as an opportunity to, uh, to talk about their plan for the economy. The Alberta government uh, today took that opportunity with the premier's comments. So, you know, I think we have to keep our eyes open and earnestly uh, be looking for solutions.
0: Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, Tim McMillan, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. So what do you make of this whole new panel that's being brought in? Again, it's Robert Skinner from the University of Calgary's School of Public Policy. It's Deputy Energy Minister Colleen Voke, and former Notley Chief of Staff and Policy Consultant Brian Topp. They are being tasked with working with the energy industry, including Tim McMillan and others, to find ways to close that differential. And as Notley pointed out earlier today, it's costing us $80 million every day because Canadian crude, Alberta crude, is selling at about 45 bucks a barrel less than West Texas Intermediate. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. All right, let's head on over to uh, uh, the story that has been developing through the course of the day in regards to Canada Post. And could they be in a cooling off period? It, it's it's getting to that point of insanity, and yet here we are still. And small businesses are not fans of this at all. Sportsbroad.ca CEO Bridget Lessard-DL joins us now. Uh, it's a Calgary-based company here. Uh, Bridget, thanks so much for the time today.
2: Hey. It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking
0: me. Let's talk about this issue with Canada Post. I mean, you guys have been in business for uh, 15 years now, so it's not anything new to any extent. But I'm wondering how challenging is it running a business that depends on the mail service when it's uh, a little bit uh, unpredictable right now as as it is with uh, Canada Post?
2: Well, not only is it unpredictable, but the cost is incredible. Whenever I talk to um, retail fellows uh, that I deal with in the U.S. and I tell them how much we pay to ship one bra across Canada, they cannot believe it. Like, our cost is already so high that it makes it hard to compete. And then we keep having these strikes that keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And it changes the way people shop.
0: Is there, what have the people been talking about? Are they they understanding, I guess, of the situation or are they getting a little tired of it? Or does it force you to, to come up with backup plans for backup plans?
2: Well, quite honestly, there really isn't a backup plan unless you are a big retailer. When you're a small business, I mean, as it is, uh shipping abroad to, you know, some Ontario or eastern provinces, it's up to $18. Hmm.
0: And that's through Canada one, Post or through, through?
2: Oh, no, Canada Post. Now, you know, of course, it's cheaper if you're in the big centers. Like, this is the extreme. It's right. up to $18, 20 But the average would probably be in the $13, 14 that we pay for shipping. Now, if I was to go with uh, uh, UPS or Purolators, then it goes even higher. It's crazy.
0: Which is crazy high considering the fact that you know you're not shipping something that is worth a million dollars at the end of the day either. So I'm wondering what is what when you talk to your American counterparts, what is the price they might be ship or paying for a similar kind of shipment that you're you're sending out. Um
2: well, you know, something that's about my average. I would say they probably pay $5.
0: Unreal. So about three to almost three times as much if yeah. not more. How and, does this- and you
2: know I get it. Our country is So much bigger, so much more spread out, you know, I get it. And I get that we have to pay more. That is just how it is. But when we keep having these strikes, it really affects us. It affects the small business. And right now in Alberta, that is the last thing we need, is another insult to our business.
0: When you hear news about how Canada Post and the striking workers have been kind of talking about maybe a cooling off period, does it give you any kind of light for the Christmas season or you'll believe it when you see it kind of mentality?
2: Yeah, well, here's the funny thing. I think that my business has gone way down. Uh, Obviously, I sell sports bras, so, you know, it's not something that's, incredibly urgent that you need to have now. Most people don't buy it for Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I'm lucky, but here's the thing. My business has already gone down dramatically because people have decided, why am I gonna chance to order something online that may be stuck at a post office for a month? Uh, I'm just not gonna do it. So our sales are way, way down already.
0: Any advice for businesses like yours who are trying to get their product to customers?
2: They're really, you know, you just got to hang tight and hopefully your overhead is not too high because if it is, that can kill you.
0: Bridget, I appreciate the time and and the insight from a small business owner's perspective here this afternoon.
2: Thank you very much.
0: It is a monumental Monday here in Canada as we can now spend some historic folding money. The first banknote featuring a Canadian woman on the front goes into circulation today. Now, that $10 bill features Viola Desmond, who was arrested after refusing to leave a whites-only section of a Nova Scotia theater back in 1946. Now, Desmond's sister, Wanda Robson, was on hand for the ceremony earlier today in Winnipeg and called the honor for her sister, Awesome. But it means a lot more to a lot of people here in our country. And to dive more into that particular idea is Eddie Rutherford. She's an author. She's also a member of the Congress of Black Women of Canada. Uh, Eddie, thank you so much for coming on the program this afternoon.
3: Oh, thank you for having me. What does
0: a day like today mean for you, not only as as a woman here, but also as a member of the Congress of Black Women of Canada?
3: Well, um when I think about the role that Viola Desmond is playing, although she is deceased, for her to be put on on a ten dollars bill means a lot to all Canadians because she's the first Canadian woman to have been put in that position. And considering that she was chosen from more than 460 eligible candidates, that's really meaningful. And for any woman at all to have that honor, it's, it's a great bonus, but especially for a black woman, because as you know, um, black women haven't always been seen as worthy. My business is Women Are Worthy and my book is Women Are Worthy. We have not always been seen as worthy. So this is very meaningful for us. Um, also for the people of Nova Scotia, because the Nova Scotian people have been there from the time of the Loyalists. So there have been so many generations of them, far more than some of us who came from Africa or or the Caribbean here to Canada. There have been generations there who have been overlooked and have made history, which people do not realize. So it's very meaningful, not only for it to be a black woman, but also a black woman from Nova Scotia.
0: It must mean a lot as well to get the conversation going and allow especially young Canadians to understand maybe where we came from.
3: I think it is important that we get our young people to know our history. Because, um, and not just black women, but everyone to know our history, because there are so many cultures that have contributed to the growth of the country, and the history isn't known. And as for blacks, it's mostly whenever there's a crime or something negative that happens, that a big thing is made about it in the media so we'd like to thank the media, people like you, and it is very heartening to see that a light is being shone on something positive in the um, black community, especially for a black woman.
0: I know it, at the time it was uh, obviously controversial, the things that, that she did, but at the same time, do you, get the un, do you get the feeling that she knew what kind of legacy she was going to have by her actions?
3: I don't think she had any idea. She went to this theater. She sat where she felt like sitting. And this was, it's important because this is nine years before Rosa Parks did her thing in the States. And they told her to move. And, of course, being a woman of dignity and knowing that she was worthy, she wouldn't. But I don't think she realized that she she it was that launched the civil rights movement in Canada. That's notable. And it, it is good that she's being recognized. And it is good for the black community because a few months ago, we had Kay Livingston, who founded the Congress of Black Women of Canada. She, her picture was put on a stamp. So in a few months, we have had two black women who have been recognized for their contributions.
0: And the other thing too is it's not just that one thing that kind of sets her apart but even things like her uh, career in, in uh, makeup and, and that kind of thing like she was sort of a trendsetter in, in terms of just being a, a businesswoman at the same time
3: well she was a woman who saw what had to be done and she did it because at that time black women weren't admitted into um, beauty school so she started. A place where black black hairdressers could be um it was called vice studio of beauty culture she started that where black women could um go and be trained to be um professional hairdressers so she was a woman of action and that really makes a big difference and i think it is important for us now to work so that when something is not right we stand up for it And we say to others, join with us. We might not always do it the right way, but at least support us in what we are doing so that there will be change. Because nothing has ever been changed by people remaining silent.
0: Very strong words and very great words as well. Uh, That woman of action is now on $10 bills being circulated as of today. Viola Desmond is uh, that face on that $10 bill. Eddie, I appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you very much for calling us and for recognizing something positive in the black community. Thank you very much.
0: Eddie Rutherford is an author, also a member of the Congress of Black Women of Canada, shedding some light, of course, on today being the day those $10 bills go into circulation. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Let's talk meteors now with Dr. Chris Hurd, professor and curator at the University of Alberta Meteor Collection. Dr. Hurd, thanks for joining us.
4: You're welcome. Nice to be here. Let's talk about this fireball network that you've created. What is this all about? The network is um, it consists of these cameras. They're specifically designed um, to watch the night sky for fireballs. So fireballs being those bright flashes that happen uh, when something, when a rock of some appreciable size comes from space and comes screaming through the atmosphere, uh, probably the most recognizable one in, in recent memory happened now ten years ago, tomorrow Time which, flies.: <laughs> <is> cool yeah <laughs> we're probably tens of thousands of people across Western Canada saw that one. So the idea is to is these cameras are constantly watching the sky for these types of events. And what they can do is they can help us pinpoint where meteorites might have fallen and to do that much faster than has been done before. How often do meteorites cross our sky? And beyond that, how many would you say maybe land even in Alberta? Uh, It's difficult to say, um, but something typically, at least the statistic I've heard is that Every few days, maybe every five days, something comes through the atmosphere and lands like in a, big enough to land somewhere on the surface of the earth or in the oceans, but of course, most of the earth is oceans and and it really depends on the kind of the right combination of somebody being there to see it and and you know the dark you know happening at nighttime and and all that kind of thing. How easy is it going to be to triangulate that? Uh, that where it falls,
0: is it going to be, are you going to be able to go kind of across the globe or, or do you have an idea as to sort of the, the landmass that you're going to be able to, uh, to figure it out to?
4: Well, the beauty of this is that what, what this is part of expanding an Australian network that, that for the last several years has deployed cameras all across the, the Australian outback, oh, okay. like two and a half million square kilometers, constantly watching for these things. And they've successfully spotted hundreds of these fireballs uh, and have collected meteorites as a result of it, not hundreds of meteorites, but a handful of them are big enough to, for meteorites to land this is we 're part of a partner with them to expand this globally so we 're in charge of the western canada we 're starting small here in the Edmonton area, but we 're eventually going to cover Alberta hopefully by the end of next year, and then um, the rest of western canada uh, the the, the in a couple of years after that. The whole idea being the more that you can observe, the more fireballs you can actually see. Uh, and then, of course, of those fireballs, some of them may drop meteorites. Now, the beauty of it is that all of the data reduction, as we call it, right, all of the processing of the data information to triangulate where something may have fallen is done by the Australians in a supercomputing facility. And the beauty of it as well is that the software on these obs- observatories Automatically routes through the, you know, the pictures that it took to find the fireballs, and if if they get a, a hit on it, it'll tell us whether something has fallen and uh, where, within an hour of the event. Hmm. I, I look at, say, Parks Canada
0: as an example, is they set up uh, their their own cameras where, you know, you get those kind of, I'll call them viral moments where a bear comes walking by or a cougar comes walking by. I assume this is sort of the the space version of that in a sense, is that in theory with more sightings and more cameras, more eyes out there, all of a sudden you can share your learnings, your findings and your video with the masses as well.
4: Absolutely, yeah that 's exactly it. Um, the The cameras are constantly watching they 're taking a long exposure, thirty seconds exposure of the night sky um, throughout the whole night. so you know the chances of, of finding something are are good um, and then the beauty is it, of it is that it's it 's next generation these these cameras the way they work. There are other people who've run all sky cameras mm-hmm. across the province and continue to do that. But the beauty here is that because of the way they're set up and the technology involved, they can pinpoint the timing of that fireball. That's the key piece of information that you need is the timing, how long that fireball is and when it actually happened. lets you triangulate it better and figure out where the meteorites may have fallen. The other bonus you get with all this is every fireball that is observed, whether it drops a meteorite or not, they get an orbit calculated from it. So in other words, oh, okay. you can tell where in the solar system it actually came from. So the whole idea is to expand this globally so that we can figure out what all the debris is in our inner part of the solar system going out to the asteroid belt where most of, the, most of these things come from, uh, but, but having a, you know, more, like more numbers, more statistics to figure out, basically map out where all the debris is coming from. Broadening some horizons and certainly getting
0: people thinking uh, outside their own worlds for sure. Dr. Hurd, thank you so much for the time today. You're very welcome. Dr. Chris Hurd is a professor and curator of the University of Alberta Meteorite Collection. Certainly something we'll be keeping an eye on through the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.